Are you ready to embrace a healthier, more vibrant life? Look no further than With Joy, a transformative movement and nutrition program that goes beyond the ordinary. With Joy is not just a program, it's a movement. We believe that true wellness encompasses mind, body, and spirit. Our approach is rooted in compassion care tailored to each individual. We're here to elevate you to a place of health, wellness, and healing. Whether you're a seasoned athlete or just starting your fitness journey, we've got something for you. Our comprehensive programs include strength, mobility, endurance, and conditioning to elevate your fitness, recovery and recuperation for healing, and nutrition wellness plans to fuel your body for optimal performance. Check out our show notes for more information and links to our programs. Join the With Joy movement today and discover a whole new way to thrive. Hi, beautiful listeners. Joy here. Before we get started, I wanted to give you a content warning. Today's episode contains cursing, depictions of emotional, psychological, and physical abuse, which I know can be distressing. Listener discretion advise, and please take good care of yourself. If you need mental health resources and support, please call 988 in the United States or connect with the mental health provider in your area. Thanks so much. Now, without further ado. Hi, I'm Joy Han Silva. And I'm Laura Han Segundo Collins. And welcome to Hanacity. Hey, Joy, how you feeling? I'm really nervous. Yeah, I have some tissue here. Oh, I, I stole them. Oh, you stole it. Oh, good. I no, haven't. steal away. Yeah, it's going to be intensive. You want to take a moment? Take a moment. I know that there are people listening that can connect with how hard it is to share your story. It's just really hard to share stories when you're not used to being the one who's heard. And that's where we're at right now. This whole journey has been, it's just the beginning of the journey, I think. It's been so emotional, draining, tiring, important, but I know I've not been sleeping well. I know Joy hasn't been sleeping well. We'll text each other way too early in the morning for our time zones or it's way too late at night. Just sharing a moment of feeling a lot, a lot. You ready? Yes. Okay. (laughs) First question. We're talking about a huge transition for you today, Joy, going from the safety and security of Joanne and Foothill Academy in Southern California to Pozar's Gymnastics in Sacramento. What prompted you in your career to do that? I had just finished my first optional season and I did really well with Joanne. I shared in a previous episode, I was a big fish in a small pond and I think I was a pretty ambitious kid that had the drive to do something more with my gymnastics career. And I wanted it. I think going into these competitions that felt like they were local gyms and, you know, it wasn't that I wasn't getting pushed in a way that I wanted to. It's just that I think I knew I could achieve more. So my parents talked to your parents and it was shortly after you had come home from Texas And we were told that your coach, Rick Newman, was up in Northern California and that I should potentially see if he would consider coaching me. This was shortly after the 1992 Olympics. Bella Crowley had announced his retirement. And I think as a little girl, I always envisioned that my career would end with him because he was considered to be the best coach in USA Gymnastics. Sure. 
So when he announced his 92 retirement, I think, okay, what does that mean for me? Even though I had no connection with this coach. So looking for the best was sort of the next thing. And it was Bella's top assistant coach, Rick Newman. Right. Going to him was a big deal. And I don't know how we got set up with a trial, but we did. I went out to Sacramento and it was like we were going on holiday. I went to do this tryout and Rick sat down with my parents, thought I did well, and basically offered for me to come live up there and train with him. When you really think about it, Joy, was it your choice to leave home? It's hmm. a really good question. I reflect back on this a lot. Um, I wanted to go and I'll take ownership in that, you know. Did I have the capacity to understand what that was? No. Yeah. I think about as an 11, 12-year-old, I think I was almost 12 when I moved away. Like, what is the drive? What do you want? A lot of my drive with gymnastics and my desire with gymnastics, as much as I loved it, and I did love it, I think it was that you're pretty darn good at it, and it felt good to be good at it. Yeah. Did I want to get better? Absolutely. Did I think that was the reason why I could get better was to move away? That was sort of what you did at that time. In 1980s, 1990s gymnastics, there are very few elite coaches that can get you to the top. And so many girls in that generation leave home. That's right. It, it seems really abnormal, I think, for people who listen in and can judge how could you let your child leave if that is the culture, if that is the norm, it's all you knew. And so, yes, I wanted to go because that's what I thought was the cost to be the best. Looking back on it now, if I had the capacity to understand what it meant to leave my family, to leave my friends, to leave my safety, yeah, I probably would have thought twice. But I'm also now 43. Right. And I have all that perspective. But if you asked me if I had to go back in time and change it, I probably still would have said in my 11, 12-year-old mind, yes, I want to do this. Well, you're a kid. Mm -hmm. That's what kids do. We want to go to an amusement park. Yes, we want to go now. Yep. You want what you want. And yes, I want to do that right now. That's what kids do. It's the adults around us that make the final choice or make the transition or they're facilitating all the emotional, physical, mental processes that take right. going from A to B. Right. And your parents, my parents, anybody's parents that would send their child to live in a boarding situation where you, there's no family around back then. Like you said, that was the norm. And there was a lot of other boarding parents that were in that same situation. I don't know what kind of community they had, but that was the message that was given to all families. Right. That if you couldn't go yourself, you sent your kid if you want the best. And don't you want the best? That would be making mm -hmm. you a good parent. Yeah. There's a lot that the parents and families were holding as far as, well, if my kid doesn't go, then I'm left with this feeling of guilt of not supporting my child's talent and dreams. So really a tough position. Right. And I think on top of it, especially for our parents, but particularly for you, you have these two parents that completely committed their lives to providing the absolute best for their kids. Mm -hmm. You know, we were mm -hmm. talking about this not too mm -hmm. long ago. You had parents that really tried to provide the absolute best for you and your brothers in your home and the things that you all got. I mean, your house was the place to go because you had everything, everything mm -hmm. that you wanted. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine 
it's the same idea. They yeah. didn't have with their own childhood and they're able to do this for their children in ways that they could not. What ultimate gift to give to their daughter who's so talented, so kind, so humble and modest to be able to provide for this girl in a way that they could never have had in their own lives growing up. I mean, it's like, it's sacrifice and it's also amazing parental love mm -hmm. in that moment. And it's also hope. It's hope. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of hope in it. Yeah. It's a family buy-in. Yeah. You know, it's not just the individual. My parents were like, we're going to do everything that we can to make your dreams come true. Absolutely. Can you walk us through? Mm-hmm. How was it made this decision to live with your coach? So I think part of it felt very logical where my parents are like, I don't know anybody in Sacramento. We don't know any families. And I think originally they had talked to Rick and said, if we decide to do this, what does that look like? Who does she live with? I think my mom wanted to move with me, but my dad was really big on staying together and keeping their relationship together and not in separate homes. That was a decision that they made in terms of what they thought was best for our family. And so this was the dream that I wanted to pursue, that I would go by myself. So I think Rick had suggested for me to move in with him. And my memory of this of what was told to me was because he had this relationship with you. You were an exceptional gymnast and it was almost posed as a favor because of the relationship he had with you and your family. And he housed other girls. I wasn't the only mm. kid. There was another girl that lived with me, but she lived more locally. I think she was in the Bay Area. So she was only like an hour away. But during the week, it was hard for her to get to practice. So she was my roommate. Um, but I lived with Rick and his girlfriend at the time, as well as his girlfriend's daughter, who is another one of my teammates. Right. And walk us through those last moments with your parents. And now you're venturing off a 12 year old girl, mm -hmm. 12. Yeah. My son being 12 right now. And I couldn't imagine letting him go and living with another family to do, it doesn't matter what he was pursuing. Right. And maybe that's my own background with this yeah. sport, but walk us through the 12 year old joy's eyes. Yeah. So like I had shared earlier, I was a pretty intense feeler, incredibly shy, very in touch with my emotions. I think a little immature in a lot of ways for a 12-year-old, very codependent on my parents. So that goodbye was, was really difficult. We talk about this in our family. We're putting up a front. You've got to be strong. Don't cry. Shh. You know, a lot of shush or stop that. So I was the only athlete at posars that had family that lived far away where I didn't have access to my family weekly. So my parents took me to practice that day and they were getting ready to say goodbye. And in between rotations, they pulled me aside and they were already crying <laughs> and hugged me and said that they loved me. It was pretty early on with practice where there were still parents in the waiting room. And I remember seeing all the moms cry mm. when my mom was hugging me. Yeah. Um, and I kept it together. I don't know how I did. I was able to keep it together, probably because I didn't like crying in front of people. I went to my next rotation. I was on beam and I remember getting ready for a series and I could barely see the beam. Like I just lost it. And the girl who I shared a room with, really sweet, she awkwardly said to me, goodbyes are really hard. 
And that made me cry more, but she tried her best to comfort me because she knew what I was going through because I'm sure her goodbyes were difficult with her family too. Mm-hmm. Um, that first day, Rick was kind about my homesickness, maybe because I was new, I was still figuring it out. So he didn't make a big deal out of it. He kind of just stayed quiet and let me sort of have a moment to process my feelings. He didn't comfort me or anything. It was just right. not bringing any attention to it and let it let it just be. I probably didn't eat for like the first couple of weeks, like couldn't eat, didn't have an appetite. And that first weekend living there, my roommate went home to be with her family mm. and I had to stay home along with Rick that weekend. I don't remember where his girlfriend and her daughter went, but they're away that weekend doing something and there was an exhibition. So Rick stayed back. And that first weekend was a really difficult weekend. There were some things that had happened that were pretty traumatic in terms of seeing things that some of my teammates went through that I can't share. But I just remember it was so traumatic that it was sort of this tone of like, what the hell did I get myself into? Wow. Your first weekend, Mm -hmm. 12-year-old traumatic situation happens with a teammate and you are by yourself. Yeah. And... um. The girl that I lived with, she ended up leaving posers pretty shortly after that weekend and went home. So then I was in the room by myself. So Joy, Mm -hmm. I have to ask, being that Rick was my coach too, and I could not imagine spending any more time with that person outside of the gym as necessary. Yeah. What was it like to live with him? I think I'm still in this place of like, working through that. For me, I think the hardest thing was growing up. That was my dad's world. I was the priority always in my household. And so to going from being the favorite to like not considered was really hard. Not only did I live with Rick, I lived with his girlfriend and her daughter. I was never a priority, but also like my safety was never There was no relief. It was constant anxiety. So you would go from anxiety to the gym. And if I didn't do well in the gym, if I got kicked out, I had to go in Rick's car home. Mm. And so it's like, you don't get a break. You're constantly worried if you have a bad day at the gym because that ride home was just as uncomfortable. And it was a lot of silence, you know, like it was an uncomfortable silence and you knew you were still in trouble. The hardest part with Rick was that when I would have to say goodbye to my parents, like he didn't know how to work with emotions when it came to little girls. So saying goodbye was really hard. Like I'm still a little girl. And so, like I said, being my dad's favorite and having to say goodbye to somebody who thinks you're their world every single time and then having to have all those emotions and feelings and having to bury it and swallow those emotions and pretend that that wasn't hard. I could not cry in front of him when I would say goodbye to my parents. When I would say goodbye, I'd go to my room and I would cry on my own. There was no comfort. Nobody ever checked on me. Nobody talked to me about what it meant to be afraid or scared or any of that stuff. And if there was ever a time that he would walk in on me when I was crying, he would wail on me. He would scream at me. And there was one time I was in my room and I was crying and I had, um, another girl was sleeping over. I think she probably needed help getting to the gym the next day. And she was in the room and she was like, 
sitting with me and Rick came in and basically asked me what I, what was wrong. And I ha had a high allergies of cats and they had two cats. And he was like, is it your allergies? I didn't lie about it. I was like, no, I'm homesick. And he berated me that day. My mom and dad called literally in the middle of his scream. And he told my parents to control your fucking daughter because she is a mess. My parents had to tell me to stop crying and oh to stay God. strong. So I had no ability to really lean into those emotions at all. Mm -hmm. I went back to the room and my my friend, my teammate said, you should have said it was allergies. So you're in constant like anxiety of keeping your shit together constantly. There mm -hmm. is no like ability to lean into emotions. You have to disassociate. You have to, to cut those things off. So I knew in that moment, there is no way I could say I'm homesick because that meant I would get in trouble no matter what. Yeah. And that was really hard. There's you know? no space so, for you. There's no place for you. I was 11 and I went to my mom and dad and I said, please don't come and see me anymore because it was harder to say goodbye mm -hmm. than for you to just not show up. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that hurt their feelings. But it's like, I can't say goodbye to you because I would be in more trouble. And even though I want to see you, I'd rather not not see you because I I couldn't keep my emotions together and I knew I couldn't handle that goodbye. That's so much. It's too much yeah. for little girls to go through. You just feel like there's like no safety ever. Ever. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to Joy, just what you and boarding gymnasts went through. Although I have to say, having to live with Rick must be just, I can't even imagine Joy. That's just like a whole different level that's a whole different level. I mean, I had my sister, but the boarding gymnast experience, no matter what, you're living with a boarding parent whose child is in the same gym. You're never going to be a priority in that house. But for you to have to live with him is just insane. And I'm so sorry. You're a tough cookie. You're going to take all the time that you need to process that experience. However long it takes is how long it takes. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing your story and I'm seeing this 12-year-old who, you know, developmentally hmm. starting to move from sort of this latent childhood of the world is my oyster. There's so many things to learn at six years old. That's the time you start elementary school. 12 years old, going into teenage years, sort of a new awakening. Hormones are supposed to become kicking in. It's not available to you because you're not you know, heavy enough. <laughs> right. And as gymnasts, it was really a, a point back then to yeah. push away puberty. Yep. So you are forced into a extended childhood, so to speak, mm -hmm. in many ways, physically, mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally. And it's just wild that, well, let me put it this way. Physically is expected you to stay small. Mm -hmm. Mentally and emotionally, mm -hmm. the expectation is to be an, an adult. adult. Yeah. There's like a disassociation. Like you're, you're speeding crazy. up childhood, but you're also slowing it down. Yeah. Right. It's like a mind fuck. And then you're 12. Adults can put that on children back then as much as they want. But right. the reality is that you're still 12. Right. So no matter what, the 12 year old who's present right now, talking right now, take the space, honey, because that's totally understandable. All the things that you went through. Mm -hmm. And it is okay to feel scared and hurt and alone. Because you really had to go through that on your own. Right. Yep. Are you overwhelmed, stuck, maybe disconnected in your relationship? 
Would you like to find more clarity and balance? Look no further than Laura Collins, LCSW, providing individual and couples counseling with warmth and empathy, a safe space to navigate life's challenges and connect you with your shine. Laura also specializes in working with current and former athletes and coaches, performance anxiety to post-competition transition. She understands the unique mental demands of the sports world. Curious to dive deep? Check out the links in our show notes for additional information about our practice and how we can support you in your journey. So you have this horrible first, first week, (laughs) (laughs) really crazy. Where do you go from there? How was that for you thereafter? Things start to normalize, right? And that you adjust your environment doesn't really shift. And what you do is you dissociate your feelings to what the trauma is or what you're going through. And it's really about the job. And so there's a traumatic experience that happened, but then also you're in this environment where it's really intense work. Um, Rick is known to be a hard coach whose motivation tactics, I would say, is putting girls down, calling them names, trying to motivate them by getting them angry, which was probably a normal tactic in 1980, 1990s gymnastics training. Yeah. And so that was a huge shock for me as well, going from Joanne, who would tell me if I was having a hard day, let's work it out. Let's work on, you know, what your fear is or, you know, are you injured? Sit back, go get some ice. So going from somebody who was incredibly nurturing, who was sort of like my second parent who mothered me and nurtured me into a stark difference of fear-based coaching that was really hard. And I think you shut it off when you're just like, well, I want to be a great gymnast. Yep. I want to be a champion. I want to make the 1996 Olympics team. This is what it's going to be in order for me, me to go to Atlanta. So you turn off those emotions and you basically disassociate and you say, this is my job. And you put your head down and you work. You normalize it and you tell yourself, this is just part of life. You know what's wild too, Joy, mm-hmm. about that is that that messaging that you've just said is present everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was present back then. It's probably present now. For but sure. this sort of like, you have to just take fear-based and one could call abusive coaching. Yeah. At the very least, it's psychologically, emotionally, mentally abusive. But my opinion is it's physically abusive because at the hands of coaches, they can say condition for 10 hours. And as a gymnast, we did, we did. Yeah. I did do conditioning for full workouts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for sure. And, and would walk home with sore muscles and for days. broken bones or sprained ankles. And absolutely. That was trained, injured, compete, mm. injured, hold it together. And, you know, because don't you want it? That's yeah. what it takes. That's mm-hmm. what it takes. It's always this fucking message. That's what it takes. Well, there's also this like mentality too, especially when you're hurt, they have somebody else. They'll use your teammate as the person that takes over. And the thing with gymnastics, which is so cutthroat, there's only a limited amount of space. Right. That's right. So if you're not in the top six at that time, right, could have been seventh, might as well have been 107th. Oh yeah. You know? Right. So injuries were definitely a tactic of pushing you because it's like, all right, there's the next person to take your place. Right. Well, you're not injured, um, according to them. You're lazy. You're lazy or you're faking it. You're faking it. You don't want it enough or, or enough. you're not 
you're not strong enough to put up with yeah. the work. That's my favorite one. Yeah. Because we are groomed with these messages as well. Mm-hmm. And then later on to hear from people that I adored, for example, that you adored. If a gymnast from our time would have stood up for themselves or shared their story and then to hear, oh, well, you're just not strong enough. Oh, you're, you're bitter gymnast. That's my favorite one. Mm-hmm. You're bitter gymnast because mm-hmm. you didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And then, then or you diminish it for somebody else and not yourself. That's right. right? Diminishes and minimizes yeah. the reality, which was everybody was an amazing gymnast. Everybody, everybody worked hard. wanted it. And everybody wanted, everyone worked hard. There's nobody that went and lived away from their families and worked as many hours as we did, 46, mm. sometimes 50 hours a week in the gym because we didn't want it hard enough. Yeah. Because that gets old after a while. If it was really about that, you had been like, peace out. Yeah. <laughs> you can't sustain that yeah. for that just, long, you know, for sure. Anybody that would ever hear that, that's gaslighting. Oh, it's it is. not. You're crazy. You're the one who's crazy. That is gaslighting in a cultural way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that needs to end. And I hope it's ended. I mean, I don't yeah. really know gymnastics nowadays right. in many ways. And I see these amazing gymnasts that are changing the voice. Right. So, I mean, right. I'm really hoping, fingers crossed, but we know back then. Was, yeah. Yeah. You were at we're both not affiliated with that was not anymore. It. Yeah, for sure. So Joy, you get acclimated. You're part of the Posars culture. What happens then? So I ended up moving in with another family who were lovely and basically became my extended family. I think it was interesting because the mom was Asian American. And so there was a definite connection right away. We both understood each other's culture Even before I moved in with her, she felt very safe to be around. She would come and talk to me. She was very encouraging at the gym. Her daughter was only five years old and she was in sort of like the Coroli's Hopes team. I wasn't in the same group as her daughter. There wasn't very much competition there. And so they took me in and it was lovely. And they really rooted and cheer me on to have that support and feel like a sense of family around was a huge shift. And that was helpful. Did the training get easier? No, (laughs) (laughs) did the yelling get easier no I shared earlier I was the type of kid if I was the worst on the team that was motivation for me to be the best and so I really worked my ass off at posers and so I went from being the worst to being one of the best my very first competition I ended up placing second behind an Olympian and it was on beam which I think for me was sort of validation that I made the right decision yeah. because I was able to compete with the best and keep up. I think also my parents felt validation that they did the right decision. And so it was like, this is unbelievable. Like it's working. Absolutely. Yeah. So I had a really amazing competitive season and what level was this? It was level 10. Awesome. So I skipped level nine. I don't know how that happened but I did the magical things. Um, And I had a really amazing season and did really, really well. It was also like being the worst on the team to then being the best in my group, all those things. That was the motivation. The possibility felt more of a reality. Yeah, sure. I definitely remember going to visit you I actually don't really remember much because it was a reunion for me to see mm-hmm. that other teammate that you're speaking about because we used to train together back in yeah. Texas, right? There's a picture of us together. And I am clearly more developed at this point because I had quit gymnastics by then. Yeah. I had braces by then. I had boobs by then. 
this picture, which is shocking to look at my old teammate and she looks exactly the same Yeah, as when I left her. Cause this is what year at this point, 1990, I think 92, 93. Yeah. I had had to leave gymnastics in 90. So just in two years time to look completely different. Yeah. Um, You might've been a freshman in high school or something like that. Yeah. Can I share this really great story about going to see you at Christmas time? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, I don't, and y'all, the Silvas had this amazing Astro van. It had this amazing blue upholstery interior, and it really felt like a living room. And I loved it. The and I had a of, TV. And a TV. I mean, this is yeah, amazing stuff. And mood lights on this side. <laughs> the mood lights. The mood lights. Yes. yes and it's it like a theater. Mm-hmm. And I would walk in and I'd feel like I was at their home. We're all getting into the car to go visit Joy. It's Christmas time. It must have been Christmas time-ish. Anyway, yeah. doesn't matter. Um, but we're in the car and her older brother and I are in the back seat, just laughing about whatever. And it's really, really late, pitch black. We're on the five. And all of a sudden we hear this, woo, woo, woo. Comes. <laughs> we get pulled over and now we're all freaking out. None of us have seatbelts on, I don't think. And your dad, who's driving the car, and you have to understand He's just like straight out of the seventies. Awesome. <laughs> and he had these glasses. He's like, you all remember these giant glasses in the eighties and like 90s. aviators, the aviators. And he looked amazing with those sideburns too. <laughs> Fantastic. Larry. So uncle Larry just turns around and goes, kids watch this. <laughs> turns around and you open the, 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 the window goes down. Police comes over. It's like, hello, sir. Do you know that you were going like 110 <laughs> in an Astro van or something like that? And all of us in the back were like all peeing our pants, nervous. <laughs> and uncle says, hello, officer. It's so nice to see you. I'm off to see my daughter who's in Sacramento and she's following her dream. It just tells his life story. Guy, <laughs> like, I think was just to- so taken aback. This really friendly guy with these aviators and the whole family of scared lemmings. And the guy just says, oh, yeah, uh, just be careful out there. You're, you're going kind of fast. And uh Good luck to your daughter. Aww, and you walked sweet. away and your dad goes, Merry Christmas. <laughs> just, yeah. Oh, it's so funny. That's so hilarious. funny. And then he rolls up the window and we start off and she turns around and goes, that's how it's done. And we were like, wow, that is so cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That was yeah. amazing. All right. So. There's a beginning to Posers as a middle, and there is definitely an end. Can you take us through the end? Yeah. Um, so I just remember I was getting ready for like level 10 regionals, and there's a conflict in schedule, and I'm not sure who's going to take me to this competition. A couple days later, we're still figuring out who's going to come with me. My teammate, who's supposed to go to U.S. Classics, has a horrific injury that we all witness mm. and essentially can't go to the competition. So Rick goes to my competition and I bomb horribly. Shit. I did horribly at regionals. Joanne actually came with her team to cheer me on. And for some reason I was competing by myself. I just remember feeling really crappy. I think I sprained my ankle the week before. So 
I was limited to things that I could do. I was still working out on it. I was taping my ankle prior to the competition and it was a big thing with Rick. He didn't want us to tape our injuries because he thought that it would make our scores lower or show that we were weaker or whatever. And so I wasn't allowed to tape my ankle. Right. That's what he said. I just remember that was the reason why we couldn't tape. I don't remember if he said it, but there was this unsaid rule Mm-hmm. that you don't use tape, specifically white tape, because That's it crazy. stood out. We weren't allowed to wear tapes or our wrist guards on vault. Oh and so God. if we were practicing with wrist guards, when we competed, we weren't using them. So I wasn't at my best. And wow. so Joanne came with her team and I just felt crappy because I think I'm still validating that my choice was right. Mm. Um Joanne was like, I don't care about, you know, <laughs> she came up to me, gave me a hug said she was proud of me. She was just like, I'm just here to see you. Yeah. Shortly after that season, I went home for a week. I believe if my memory serves me was to nurse my injury with my parents. The biggest thing was that when I would get hurt, my Asian American parents didn't like me imposing any difficulty on anybody. So when I was hurt, I rarely went to the doctors. I rarely went to therapy because it required somebody else to take time out of their schedule to take me to these doctor's appointments. And so if I needed to see a therapy appointment or whatever, I would go with one of my teammates who was already going to the therapist and I would tag on and see if they could work a time for me to see the doctor. And when I would be injured, my parents would try to get me to come home so that I would have a weekend or a week for them to get x-rays or, you know, to see the doctor. Because my season was over, they asked Rick, like, can I rest my body? Because I had sprained my ankle and I also was complaining about my elbows. And I think elbows were a big thing with my parents because of your injury. And during this time, Rick was asked to leave because the injury of my teammate was so significant that he was let go. And he left Posars when I was home for that week. So then what happens? I ended up staying a little bit longer because we didn't know if I would go back to Posars, who was going to take his place and if that would be a fit for me. But Rick gets a job offer to coach at Dynamo Gymnastics in Oklahoma City which is now the top gym of USA Gymnastics in 1994. 1994, got it. He decides to reach out to a couple girls and I got a call to see if I would consider moving to Oklahoma to continue my training with him. And how did that land for you? So it's interesting because I think I'm a kid who at this point, 14, I mean, at this time, your coach is basically God. He determines whether you get to your dream or not. And so when he asked me, I immediately said without hesitation, yes, even though in my heart, what I really meant was I don't want to go because I already know what it meant to leave. And at this point, I think I was home for at least a month because he had to pack up his life in Sacramento and I never went back to Posars. I didn't say goodbye to my teammates. I didn't say goodbye to any of my coaches. So there's like a lot of open-ended unfinished business or no closure to those things. And that was really hard. But yeah, I remember saying yes pretty quickly because I think what I wanted to do was appease him. And that was a yes. I wasn't really thinking about what that meant. So I said yes, even though I wanted to say no. And I remember my dad had a little bit of perspective, said, hold on let's talk this through and Rick will give you a call back with our final answer. 
I think because I already told him yes, I was so afraid to go back on my word. Mm. So my dad was trying to talk me into understanding what it meant to go to Oklahoma, what it meant to leave home. It was more terrifying to tell him that I didn't mean yes than to just go with it. Yeah. So I moved to Oklahoma. (laughs) Wild. Yeah. Wild. So we've come to the end. Joy, thank you so much for Mm -hmm. sharing today. You know, it can feel really overwhelming and you've been so brave. You've done a great job. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me and with anyone who's listening right now. We all appreciate you. You're just so (laughs) kick-ass and such a strong, tough, tough cookie that can be tiring to constantly be saying, oh, we're tough cookies. You have to put up with a lot of shit, but you did. And look, you're still loving and living it's just amazing what you've gone through. But I want you to know on this side, I absolutely hear you. And everything that you've gone through, everything that you put up with is real. Mm-hmm. Number one, all your feelings are real. And I'm sure there's more feelings that are going to come up as we are continuing to open up all right. these boxes that have been sealed for decades. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I just love you. And mm-hmm. holy shit, you're amazing. So we're going to be talking about dynamos is next for you woohoo <laughs> if only you could see my face <laughs> <laughs> anyway I'm starving and I need to eat something real bad so I'm thinking about cow cow sounds good right now yeah let's do that thank you all for listening today I love you Joy I love you more I love you most hi <laughs> <laughs> Up next on Hanacity the Podcast. Together, John, Joy, and Laura break 30 years of silence, bringing healing and connection through storytelling, love, and community. There are things about your guys' experience. I don't have any clue that that stuff was going on. So I didn't know about the darkness back then. But as an adult now, I can help you, whatever I can do to help you purge that darkness. That's the important part. The two-way street, right? My darkness, you can help me, and I can help with your darkness. Yeah, I love that. Join our Hanacity community. Listen in to Episode 9, Sibling Left Behind, on Amazon and Spotify. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any questions, please reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and our website, hanacity.com. Share and follow us on Amazon and Spotify. Help us out and leave a five-star review. Thanks!